You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Well, hello. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 26. Episode number 26 is brought to you by Word Domination, the award-winning area control and word-building game coming to Kickstarter August 23rd. Go to www.worddomination.net to learn more. Okay, with me today we have a very special guest. This is Trevor Heron, the founder of Blue Heron Entertainment and the designer of Collectors and Capers. Trevor, welcome to your Tables on Fire. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be on here. We're glad you came on. Uh, Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself? Well, as you said, I am the founder, CEO of Blue Heron Entertainment, LLC. I am 25, basically have just gone out of college, and my day job is a software programmer, which is a lot of fun. And part of sort of what got me into game design and why I'm here right now is because I was working at a company where I would be working about 80 hours a week. So I ended up trying to design a game to simulate what I was currently going through as an employee. (laughs) That's still a work in progress for right now, but it sort of was the first idea that sprang forth many more. That sounds like a really, really miserable game. (laughs) I don't know if I want to play it. (laughs) Oh, no, you're not the employee in this game. Oh, okay. You'd be the manager, yes, yes. Oh, right. You make the other people suffer. That that makes more sense. Try to manage their stress as best as you can. Send them on vacation every now and again. Oh, well, that's that's nice of you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's rewind history here a little bit and tell us how you first got into gaming in the very first place. Well, ever since basically I could, my family and I have been playing games. I mean, simple games such as Rad Tat Cat, Quiddler, Five Crowns, pretty much any social occasion, games were involved. And this sort of expanded into the Euro games of Ticket to Ride, Catan, the Catan card game. And really, my whole life I've been playing games. It's just something that I've always done and will always be doing. So games are very much a a part of me. Hmm. Well, now I noticed when you listed off those games you were playing with your family, you didn't mention a single Hasbro game. Did did you miss out on that choice moment in 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 your early years? Well, we we played we played Monopoly. We also played like see Seattle in a box and Christmasopoly and Christmas in a box and all and all of that. But those weren't really what we focused on. We really focused more on games that helped build vocabulary, learn pattern matching, that sort of thing. Set also comes to mind mm-hmm. with that. So there was some Hasbro games sprinkled in there, but also more local games, uh, Cranium, for instance. Mm-hmm. But pretty much anything a family could play, we did. Hmm. 
Well, now that you are a little older, have gone your own way, what's hitting your table these days? Well, for right now, the game that I've, I've created has been what, I, what I've <laughs> been playing the most, Collectors and Capers. But aside, sure. aside from that, uh, there's seven, seven Wonders is a good one. Liars Dice. I have a game group that I go to that loves to play that game. Mm-hmm. Skulls, uh, the Honorim series. Now, those are my favorite. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they are solitaire to two-player cooperative games that really helped foster and deepen my analytical ability in looking at a game and sort of saying, why is this fun? How is it designed? What sort of experience does it generate? Hmm. From that, and those are my favorite games: Anirim, Silvion, Castilion. Is it Anirim? Is that right? Anirim, yes. Did you start playing Anirim before you decided to be a game designer, or was that kind of what got you into it? It sort of happened halfway halfway through the the sort of the formation of the idea phase. Since, if I'm going to be honest, Jeff, it initially started off with sort of a creative release of just trying to make sense of the situation that I was in. Mm-hmm. So I started laying things out, sort of trying to look at the system that I was in and how to work within that system and what could be done to improve it. And sort of from there, I started looking at more weird and different games, games I would not normally play, sort of at the behest of um, Extra Credits, which is a as a popular YouTube channel. But I said, if you want to be a game designer, play games. Play games you wouldn't normally play. So I took that advice, and it really helped foster the spark that was already there. Hmm. You said you described briefly that the game of managing people who have miserable jobs and working 80 hours. Have you designed other games before Collectors and Capers came about? Well, there were several other games that are still in that design phase, but Collectors and Capers was the first one that I really looked at and went, I can make this hit the shelves. I can make this into a full game. I want to do that. I want to go through the entire process and start my career with this. Mm. What, what was it about Collectors and Capers that made you feel that way? Well, I think, I think part of it was the theme. Since Collectors and Capers is a heist theme game, and what I really try to do is make you feel like you were in a heist film, where if you saw what was going on and what people were doing on their turns, you could imagine yourself in a heist movie, in Ocean's Eleven, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I also designed it so that it was not unapproachable by people who are new, who are not necessarily game players. People who may have some level of familiarity but don't want to break out a game with 50 bajillion pieces and a rule book to use as a paperweight. (laughs) So the simplicity of the components, the design, and the theme all contributed to me saying, this is where I want to start. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Well, let's talk about Collectors and Capers, but let's take a step back. And for anyone who's not familiar with the game, can you give us the rundown? All right. Well, Collectors and Capers is a set-collecting bluffing game for three to six players that takes 30 minutes. A real beer and pretzels kind of game. 
or the game you'd use to start off your night. Or you could also have it be your entire night. Now this game really focuses on player interaction and that sort of poker meta game that emerges where you have to think about what people have, what you've seen them do, how they have bluffed or played their played cards beforehand and go off of that. So reading your player is the other players is very much an interactive experience and a part of the game as your individual turn is. Hmm. So I think the best way I've been able to describe this is think gin rummy, BS, Sheriff of Nottingham, all came together <laughs> and collectors and capers came out of that. <laughs> Sounds like quite the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when you were first designing it, mm-hmm. you know, you talked about that, the kind of the metagame, the, the social aspect. Was that first and foremost in your mind or that, did that come out as you were designing it? Definitely. Though, I, though the meta was in a different style than, what it current, than its current iteration. Originally, I wanted collectors and capers to be about lying, about the ability to, in the magic circle of the game, break the rules that we normally abide by. So the original intent and thought was to make a game where you're trying to collect sets and you can propose trades with people, but you don't need to honor those trades. Sort of, there's always, there might be that one player in Settlers of Catan who says, I'll trade your wool for your ore, and they just give wood to you instead, and then try to pass <laughs> it off. Sort of, that sort of thought in mind. But then as I started refining Collectors and Capers, it became clear that balancing for people, being able to cheat and, in essence, be completely dishonest is difficult. And, and frankly, would every iteration of the rules with that specific intent in mind, the experience wasn't fun. There was no incentive, as it were, to lie, because then people wouldn't trade with you, and then everything becomes a card-drawing and discarding game which is not at all what I wanted. I wanted interaction. Right. So it became a bluffing game from there, sort of working the angle of, if you're not going to promote trade between players, then how can you still get that sort of dishonesty without breaking the core concept and the core fun of the game? Bluffing. Hmm. How how did you come to that conclusion? Well... I started thinking about what's the more okay, quote-unquote, version of lying and cheating, let's be frank, that, that we do and that we condone in several games. And there are games that allow lying and not honoring agreements, but they have that as a side mechanic as opposed to a main mechanic. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about, okay, if you lie, what do you have to do to lie? You have to bluff. You have to put forth a facade that is not true, whether it is claiming that you have a set of cards or claiming that you're going to trade a card for another card. So that's the, the step I got to bluffing from just straight 
not honoring an agreement. Mm-hmm. How long have you been working on Collectors and Capers? I've been working on Collectors and Capers for about a year and a half, coming on to two years now that, now that I think about it. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a while. Quite a while, a lot of refinement, some periods where I had to think about other ideas as Collectors and Capers stewed before having a aha moment. Mm-hmm. During that time, were you doing quite a bit of playtesting? I was doing playtesting. I had I have teams out in on the East Coast who have been unbelievably helpful and patient as they have played iterations of the games ranging from when they were just business cards with rudimentary shapes and descriptions on them to the more polished actual card versions of the prototype. And I've been very fortunate in having them tell me, frankly, what their opinion was and what their experience was, even though they were good friends from college. It's great to have people who can look you in the eye and say, Trevor, you're a great person, but this game takes too long. It drags on. It took an hour before we could steal something. Right. Which, not what I intended. I wanted it to be short, snappy. So there was playtesting going on, waiting to hear back from said playtesters. I have to admit, I was hesitant and shy about bringing my game out since this was the first, this is the first game that I've gone to the playtesting stage, to the refinement, and then now Kickstarter stage. So it was really a hurdle to go from having people I know and trust very well um, play and give feedback to people I couldn't tell from Adam. Mm-hmm. How, did that, how did that go when you, when you first handed it over to people you didn't even know? It was rough. The first, the first iteration was that people had played who I didn't know was the second major iteration. The first being the everyone lies, haha, isn't that funny stage. The second one had a unbelievably clunky mechanic of discarding cards to play cards so that you could steal something, which for all sorts of reasons didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And it became painfully obvious during those first few play tests. And from that, I had to put collectors and capers on a back seat and let other processes wash over it for a while before having the aha, eureka mm-hmm. moment. Did you ever get any feedback from a playtester that, that didn't, wasn't particularly productive, that you know maybe was a little off the wall? Well, most people's feedback has been very constructive Mm -hmm. there have been people who have who have said this game didn't impress me to which where my next question is okay so how did it not impress you but Mm -hmm. when someone fills out a form saying it didn't impress them it's sort of the end of the discussion as they as they walk off to the convention floor right or when people say well there's always a nugget in there that's always good where people say things like, I wish there were more treasures for people to steal. Okay. That's useful because it means you like the stealing, Mm -hmm. but 
more treasures means that everyone could potentially win and get the same number of points, which is incongruent with forcing a competition between players. Right. So limited resources, people are going for that limited resource. So I do have to say the most unconstructive feat the most unconstructive feedback I've gotten is either a nearly blank sheet with a few check marks, which, albeit may be helpful but doesn't give context, or the occasional not impressed sort of comment. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of of the items you have to steal, yes. uh, they're they're very clever. Are, are those <laughs> ideas you came up with, or do they come? along as you were developing it? How how did they come about? Well, funnily enough, the entire time I've been designing, I wanted to have tongue-in-cheek pop culture humor Mm -hmm. in this game. So originally, I was going to have the stealing of, like, the priceless flower, like the Black Lotus from Magic the Gathering, or the five gems, the Moxon. But then I sort of stepped back and looked at it and went, Watsy's not going to allow me to do that. Wizards of the Coast is not going to allow me to do that. <laughs> right. So I need to think of other things that I can claim fair use on and still be tongue-in-cheek but not in-your-face or uh, or so obscure. So the treasures I ended up with were the Crystal Femur, which, as you may surmise, is based off of the Crystal Skull, the Holy Chalice, the Holy Grail, uh, the Golden Fleece, based on Jason and the Argonauts, uh, the Priceless Painting, which I specifically requested look like a Warhol, and the artist delivered 100%. Yeah, it is pretty hilarious and amazing. <laughs> exactly. I, initially, I wanted to do a swatch of like red or something, and, and the artist looked at me and said, no, we're going to do something more. I'm not just going to do a color on the card right so wiser minds prevailed in that case at least in terms <laughs> of the art uh the ancient statue looks very lovecraftian for instance yes and the digital guide that's my personal favorite exactly <laughs> it's obviously the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy but don't want to say that outright so really part of the fun of collectors and capers, and I wanted it to be fun, was people to bond with a particular treasure mm-hmm. based on their pop culture knowledge, the tongue-in-cheek humor, and also the artwork. Make it a beautiful-looking game. Since the mechanics could be solved, but if I was doing the drawing, I would not. it, it would not be doing nearly as well as it was on Kickstarter. I'm just going to put it out there. <laughs> Well, they they do they did turn out very beautiful. I have to admit, yes, they're very nice. Uh, the artist I hired, Nike Anadon, she did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. How did how did you come across her? Well, Seattle is a very sort of small town, the largest small town. I like to joke, in that <laughs> my family knew her friend's mother, sort of thing, and I met at a social event, and she said, "Oh, I heard that you're looking working on a game." I have a my daughter has a friend who's who's a artist. Would you like me to put you in contact with her? And I said, sure, why not? And hmm. from the first meeting where I said, okay, so I'm thinking of a card 
labeled pickpocket. Can you sketch something for me? Took exactly what I was thinking without me having to say what I was thinking. And it was suddenly on the piece of paper in front of me. Wow. It's just absolutely clicked for this project. It was fantastic. Yeah, that sounds pretty great. You're you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I count and I count that as a blessing every time. And I plan on working with her for future projects. So more power to her for being able to take my thoughts and transcribe them beautifully in a nice Art Deco theme. Yeah, yeah, they turned out really nice. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Kickstarter. All right. Uh, you're. You're wrapping up your campaign. I think you have just over a week left, about. Yep, nine, eight, nine days left. Mm -hmm. And where are you at with it right now? We are currently at 98, 96%. Excuse me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I wish I was at 98%, <laughs> but just 96% with wow. the nine to eight days left. So are you, are you feeling pretty confident at this point? I am feeling, I am feeling very confident at this point. Since yeah. last day always provides a bit of a bump, I have people who are interested who who I need to send another remind out, update to to let them know what, how things are going. I've gotten some very nice reviews that I think have helped out a lot. Mm -hmm. I have the utmost confidence that this will fund. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned reviews. Were those your primary marketing strategy or what have you mostly done to get the word out well my marketing strategy was was sort of twofold i wanted to work with a variety of reviewers and first of all getting a review on on your game is always great it's great to have a critical review it's great to have a glowing review preferably it's both mm -hmm. and i've been lucky to have very good reviewers take a look at my game ranging from casual game revolution to uh, undead viking legends of tabletop etc but part of the marketing strategy was also more grassroots word of mouth uh, the lucy award which you're familiar with going on the streams podcasts like this obviously mm -hmm. and touring the local game stores of seattle and emailing, twittering, Facebook posting as much as I can. Obviously within taste, because no one wants their feed to be a barrage of posts from a single person. Right, right, for sure. So that, for this project, has been my primary marketing as sort of getting a baseline for future works mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So are you pretty happy with where things are at? I'm happy where things are at. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, it would have been great to be funded in a day or so, but not everyone can be so lucky. Right, right. doesn't happen as often as we'd like it to, that's for sure. Definitely, definitely. So then after the campaign's over, uh, what's next for you? Well, what's next for me after the campaign is obviously making sure the campaign is honored, working with Wingo as the manufacturer to make sure that the that collectors and capers gets to my backers and to the shelves of stores as rapidly as possible but in the meantime i have another project that i'm working on that i am calling affectionate 
and affectionate. Affectionate. And this is actually a dedication piece to one of my cats who passed away over the past year. And the thing with him was he was persevering, the sweetest cat you could ever imagine. All he wanted was to be petted and, and to eat and this and the cuddle on you and with you but he was also dumb as a brick so <laughs> i wanted to create a game that was simple enough that if this cat was a person they could play and enjoy and so this is a dice game it is well i don't want to spill too many beans but if you're in the seattle area you will probably see me at a few playtest northwest events showing around, or if you make it to PAX West, I will be there mm. with Affectionate. The whole thing is, you're a cat trying to get cuddle tokens. Little heart-shaped cuddle tokens. And if you have the most cuddle tokens, you win. That simple. Sounds pretty straightforward. Exactly. I like it. Well, Trevor, do you have any advice for people that are working on their first game, mm -hmm. hoping to get it ready for Kickstarter? What, what would you tell them? What I would tell them is iteration, iteration, iteration. If you have a polished game, that helps. And that's iteration through design process, iteration through going to cons, going to events, gathering names, emails, putting together a mailing list, and really getting the word out there, letting people know what's going on and do so iteratively bring people on board work with your manufacturer get everything ironed out beforehand so that when you get funded you can hit the presses and go and deliver your game as quickly as you can to your backers because if i've heard anything from people who have been skeptical about kickstarter ranging from retailers to just people who stopped by while I was demoing in a game store, is that they're concerned about actually receiving what they pledged their money for. That's the number one thing. And if you iterate and if you iron out all those details early on through that iteration, then you are way ahead of most people. All right. Good advice. Thank you. Well, Trevor, it is time to... Put aside all our concerns about Kickstarter and collectors and capers and, and all of that and instead focus on the true purpose of this podcast. All right. Lay it on Which me. is the game design challenge. All right. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. So here's how this works. For those that don't know, I'm going to pick a theme at random. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give that to you. You're going to chew it over. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Uh, you know, we can discuss it if you like, or All you right. can just iterate yourself. That's fine. But at the end, you need to pitch back to me what that game is, how it would work. All right. All right. You up for that? Let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to find a theme, and that theme is going to be 1,000 secret compartments. 1,000 secret compartments. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, my first thought with this, and this might be the whole heist theme that I have, 
is that you are a smuggler trying okay. to outfit a ship of yours with as many secret compartments as you can so that you can get as much of your goods without getting caught past the border patrol. So you'd have one person who was, let's say, a Navy blockade or a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. And then another person whose goal was to smuggle goods. Now, I do recognize this is sounding a lot like Sheriff of Nottingham, but (laughs) with Sheriff of Nottingham, you're really trying to bluff. Now, with this game, what I would propose is something more along the lines of a shell game. Okay. So that you would have your various goods and that on each turn you could decide whether or not you want to hide your goods into a certain certain number of compartments. Now, you have to get a certain number of goods through the checkpoint. So what you, what you would have is you'd have a deck of some compartment cards, and these would be large cards that you would hide something under. Mm-hmm. And each turn you'd have to put a card under these compartment cards, shuffle them around, and then make your case for why the guard should not look under each compartment. <laughs> may try and convince them to they're going to flip over one so you got to convince them to you need to look at this one and you know maybe you're playing double psychology on them exactly you know, who knows exactly yeah. something like that start get more interaction than just a, a standard shell game because that is just you shuffle around shuffle around shuffle around if they are good they'll figure out where it is unless you're cheating of course as you would with a shell game or a three card monty but we're not going for that <laughs> right different game different game so instead this would be the border guard would turn around leave the room whatever and you could have this be an individual or a team hides their good under one of these cards let's say five let's mm. say five cards and then the guard the guard would come back and basically have to figure out by questioning the people where the item is. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they can read their tells, they can maybe figure out where it is. Exactly. So, so it is a little bit of bluffing, but a different kind entirely. Right. And I would, I would encourage players to be creative and not just use the table space for this game. So, so what it, would they use? Well, for instance, if you provided some sort of magnet or adhesive, obviously not <laughs> nothing too strong. You could put up one of the compartment cards on a wall, which may yeah. seem strange. So the guard may want to go to go to the wall first to see what's there. Uh, ah, I like it. So you have to really start to figure out how can I put something in plain sight but not conspicuous enough that the guard won't pick it. Right. Right. Or again, do you do you throw them by by picking the one that you don't want them to look at and you stick that on the wall because then they're going to do a reverse psychology and not look at it because they think you want them to look at it. Exactly, exactly. So a thousand compartments would be a party game. Most definitely yeah. a party game. And whoever wins, loses, ends up being being the guard for the next for the next game. Or you could have a team of guards. This this sort of concept can become flexible in one versus many, or equal teams, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
But the important thing is that you have the compartments and that you have it be fun and quirky, really, to be able mm-hmm. to put things up anywhere. Well, now you got me all excited to go play this game. <laughs> well, I might have to. How come you haven't made it yet, Trevor? Come on. Well, let me get my journal. I'll start writing this idea down. <laughs> it does sound like a lot of fun. Collectors and capers, a thousand compartments. Right, it could be the expansion to Collectors and Capers. I love it. One of the expansions. I do have another an expansion planned, Jeff, but that will take some time. Oh, okay. Okay, well that's fair enough. It doesn't have to be right right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trevor, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. And again, thank you for having me on here. It's a pleasure. It has been a, a great time. And best of luck with uh, the rest of your campaign. Thank you, Jeff. Well, that was Trevor Heron, the founder of Blue Heron Games and the designer of Collectors and Capers, currently on Kickstarter. This episode has been brought to you by Word Domination. Do you like word games? Do you hate word games but know someone who does? Then you need Word Domination. Go to www.worddomination.net to learn all about it. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. Follow us on Twitter at TableFire. And also check out our website, www.yourtablesonfire.com. Did you know we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BoardGameGeek? You can go to any of those websites and give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Well, until next time, go light it up. <laughs> <laughs>